We are really excited about next Sunday and what can happen. Easter is just one of the greatest times of the year to be able to invite your friends and neighbors and relatives to come to church with you. You'll be able to get invitation cards uh, while you walk out today, and I hope you'll take a bunch of those and just invite everywhere you go. It could be a really great blessing. There's a lot of people that are that don't know what they're looking for, and, and hopefully on Easter Sunday they can find Jesus. There are also people that are looking for a church, and we'd love to be their church home. I was talking to someone about a week ago about how you choose a church home, and what do you really want to look for? And I said, you know, the, the most important thing is not the worship style, it's not even the preaching. The most important thing about a church is the love that you find in that church, because that's what makes a church special. And I just want to say to each one of you, over the last few months, and especially over the last week, me and my family have experienced that amazing love in this church. With the passing of my mother just a few days ago and her service yesterday, the overflowing love and support and prayers and texts and cards and food is just amazing. And we've got to experience what I hope you experience being a part of this church family. And that that's the most important thing, is the love that we share for each other. And so if you're here today and you're looking for a church, what I'd say to you is find a church where you experience the very love of Jesus. Yesterday in this very place, we had the memorial service for my mom. A couple things I want to say about that is that, that she planned it. I mean, it was, she, she had every detail planned. She knew the song she wanted to be sung. The flowers, all of these flowers, except the hydrangeas, actually came from her yard. These are her columns. She even picked the preacher. She actually, um, it was funny while we were playing, I said, well, why don't we get some pictures together for a slideshow? I found out quickly she did not want a slideshow. She was the old, that was, and sorry if you had a slideshow at your folks, that is tacky. That is so tacky. You do not, can, can we put her name on the screens? No, that is tacky. You don't do that. So, so she had it planned down to T exactly the way she wanted it. But here's the truth about it. It really wasn't for her. It was for us. It was for us. She's, she's, she's gone to her reward. We're confident where she is, but we needed to talk about the memories. We needed to worship God in the middle of our sorrow. We needed to be reminded that the tomb is empty. And as we come to Palm Sunday, I want you to know the same two things about the story we're about to dive into. Jesus planned it. I mean, every detail here has Jesus' plan on it. But I also want you to know that not only did Jesus plan it, but Palm Sunday is for us because it forces us to look at Jesus the way he wanted to be looked at. And so this morning, I want to invite you to go with me to, to Luke 19, and let's just walk through this incredible story. Verse 28 says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him. And everything has been set up. Understand what's going on pre-Palm Sunday. Jesus has spoken authoritarian, uh, with great authority, excuse me. I mean, they've not heard a teacher like him. Jesus has performed amazing miracles. And to top it all off, he's just 
raised Lazarus from the dead. And that shakes them up because the people are going crazy about this man who could even resurrect people from the dead. Everybody except the Jewish leaders who are so jealous, who say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go kill Jesus. We even want to go kill the evidence. We want to kill Lazarus. And so everybody is shook up, but the people are in a frenzy of messianic expectation. And he's coming in on the Passover week. It's eight days of celebration. A low estimate of the crowd in Jerusalem when Jesus arrives on Palm Sunday is one million people. It's amazing. And he comes in, look at verse 29, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives. I've been to the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem in Jesus' day was a very dangerous place for him to go. Very dangerous. If he had wanted to survive, he should not have marched in Jerusalem. When we went to the Mount of Olives a few years ago, we'd gone on a tour of Jerusalem. And the last day we were there, Blake Ottinger and I decided we wanted to go and spend some time on the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful hill overlooking the Garden of Gethsemane and leading into Jerusalem. So we went and we got a taxi, a Jewish taxi cab driver, and he took us so far and then he abruptly stopped and he said, can't go any further. It's too dangerous for me to go further. Well, we're going. And then he, he, he turned us over to another taxi cab driver, and we went in the very worst parts of Jerusalem. You know, Blake and I are so scared, we're holding hands. I mean, it's just a terrible scene. Finally, this taxi cab driver stops in the middle uh, of the worst part of Jerusalem. He just stops and walks into his home, leaves us in the car all by ourselves. We thought there's a car bomb, there's something that's about to happen. Finally, he comes out, drops us off, and finally we get to the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem is dangerous in our day, and I'm telling you, it was dangerous in Jesus' day. And he comes up on top of this mountain, and he's entering into Jerusalem in this amazing, what we would call, we would call it a parade. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. It's pure, it's holy, it's untouched. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untie it? Say the Lord needs it. It's as if the president came to our city and said, can I borrow your car? Who of us would turn him down? Well, some of you might, but who of us would turn him down? We'd say yes. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, its owner asked, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. So they give this coat. They take it to Jesus. They brought it to Jesus, verse 35, threw their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. What a scene. In Jesus' day, this is the red carpet treatment. Again, this messianic fever has built to a high. They're expecting Jesus to do amazing things. He comes into town on this red carpet. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Man, they've seen the miracles. They've heard about Lazarus and they can't help but cut out, cut out and praise to Jesus. Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They don't like the praise going on. They're jealous. They have been the whole way. And I love Jesus' line. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Do you not see the twinkle in Jesus' eye? Hey, guys, I could tell them to be quiet, but it really wouldn't help anything of this scene because if they don't do it, the rocks are going to cry out. If they don't praise me, we're going to have a rock concert here. And they're, 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 it's just going to be, it's that exciting. So you, do you see the, the amazing buildup? Jesus comes, he enters down this incredible hill. The people are screaming, Hosanna, save us now. They're praising him. They're, they're in, he's entering as a king on this red, this red carpet treatment. It's a great scene. And then it stops. The cheering stops. I mean, it's, it's almost, I mean, if you're in the parade route and all of a sudden you're, you're back behind, you, all of a sudden it just stops in its tracks and, and everybody behind go, what happened? Why are we slowing down here? Everything was going so well. There's a, there's a book written about President Woodrow Wilson called The Cheering Stopped. Wilson was an extremely popular president after World War I. He had led America in the war that was going to end all wars. He had amazing plans about peace on the earth. He visited Europe to ticker tape parades and incredible crowds. He went around America with great adulation. And then the European allies got really selfish and decided not to rebuild the world, but to absolutely punish Germany. And the American Senate would not pass his legislation for the League of Nations to bring peace. And Woodrow Wilson died a broken and defeated man. The cheering stopped. And with Jesus, the same thing happens. What looked so awesome just stops in its tracks. And Jesus knew it. And that brings us to the next verses where Jesus has stopped in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. We see Jesus weep three times in the New Testament. He weeps in the Garden of Gethsemane in anguish. He weeps here in absolute sorrow, and he wept at the tomb of Lazarus in sympathy. But he stops and he weeps because he knows the praise is hollow. He knows they don't really mean what they're saying. And then he says these words, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
But don't you see that amazing combination that's true throughout Jesus' life, grace and truth, compassion and judgment, right here in this picture. He's so heartbroken over their rejection of him that he just stops the whole parade and weeps. And then he speaks words of truth and judgment. And in A.D. 70, the Jews finally rebelled against Rome. And the Romans sent in a general named Titus who crushed the rebellion. Over a million Jews were killed. And it was said that blood flowed down the steps of the temple like water. He was right. So I want to ask you, why did the cheering stop? Let me give you a few answers. Number one, the cheering stopped because Jesus was a different kind of king. Jonathan did a great job explaining to us the difference in a king riding into a city on a horse. Matthew says Jesus didn't ride on a horse. He rode on a donkey. A horse was symbolic of military might. A donkey, symbolic of a king on a peace mission. Jesus did not come into town in a 747 with his name blazed across the side. Jesus came in a Kia. My apologies to any of you on a Kia, all right? I mean, he came lowly and humble. And this was not the king they expected. They had this picture of the Messiah of someone with absolute power and might. And Jesus comes as lowly and vulnerable. They they mistake it at first. They're okay with it. They're so excited about the king coming. They, They don't even notice he's on a donkey, it seems to me. They don't see the subtle message. To them, it's just like a a little blooper in a movie. You ever look for those things where in the movie they get it wrong? Like I remember a Jack Nicholson movie a few years ago. It was set in 1948, but Jack Nicholson walks by an ATM machine. And anybody remember the blooper in Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise? He's in a wreck and his, his left eye is all bruised. And a few scenes later, it's his right eye that's bruised. You look for those things. And these guys think it's, you know, th- this donkey thing is just a little blooper. It doesn't really mean anything. But they had forgotten what the prophet Zechariah had said in Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. They forgot. Number two, the cheering stopped because Jesus disappointed the people. He just disappointed them. They scream what we think were words of truth from our perspective. But from their lips, they were not what Jesus was going to do. They say, save us now. They're not claiming and asking for salvation of their souls, salvation from sin. They're wanting salvation from Rome. And he's not the warrior, messianic king and conqueror that they expected. They thought he would come, he would throw Jerusalem into conflict, and there would be peace through conflict. Jesus says, that's not what I've come to bring you. I've come to bring you peace in conflict. He didn't follow the script. When he gets in Jerusalem, he doesn't overthrow the Romans. He overthrows the tables in the temple of Almighty God. 
When he comes in, he doesn't reject the Romans. He pays tribute to Caesar. And he doesn't come in to to reach the powerful. He comes in to commend the lowly widow who gives a mite. And he doesn't come in to be numbered among the great. He comes in to redefine greatness when he says greatness is to serve and he, the king of the universe, stoops and washes feet. And they are sadly disappointed in this kind of king. And I'm just wondering today, give me a little leeway here. I'm just wondering today in America, would we follow this kind of leader? Or would we be just as disappointed because we want someone just to come in and let it rip? They were so disappointed. One of the most popular books of the last few decades, Christian books, is a book written by Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. And it's so popular, I believe, because so many of us have experienced disappointment with God. We follow Jesus as our Savior. We cry, save us now. And we think that saving is going to mean that we're not going to have problems in our life, that he's going to deliver us from every issue of our life, that things are going to go smoothly and then if you've lived the Christian life more than a couple of weeks, you found out it won't. And if you had that idea of the Messiah, if you had that idea of Jesus and your marriage crumbles, you wonder if he really is the Savior. Or your finances lead you to bankruptcy. Or your health leads you to the hospital. Or you lose your loved one when you prayed over and over for God to spare her. You can become so disappointed. And sometimes in our life, we're just like them. The cheering stops because the king didn't turn out the way we expected and he didn't do what we wanted him to do. Because maybe, just maybe, we really weren't wanting him to be king. We wanted to be king. That's hard. The cheering stopped number three because Jesus wouldn't compromise who he was. Can you imagine the temptation that faced Jesus here? To imagine the opportunity Jesus had to ride this wave? To say, okay, change your plans. I mean, look, they love me. Man, they think I'm marvelous. They love me. How in the world can I turn them down? Here's the opportunity to go and set up David's throne once again in Jerusalem. But Jesus was so secure within himself. That's why Jesus could wash feet. John 13, right before he washes his disciples' feet, the Bible says something really cool there. It says, Jesus knew where he'd come from and he knew where he was going. He was securing himself so he could be lowly and he could be humble. And so Jesus, he wouldn't compromise because he knew who he was. 
And he knew why he had come, and he knew what we needed was not temporary relief from the problems of this earth, but eternal salvation from our damnation from sin. So he wouldn't compromise. And then number four, Jesus forced a choice. That's, like I said at the beginning, he planned this. I mean, th- think of the contrast in this scene and every other scene in the gospel. In every other scene in the gospel, Jesus says, tell no one I did this. Go, go, but be, be secret about it. Don't tell anybody what's going on. I don't want anybody to know who I am. I mean, keep that to yourself. And then we got a crowd of a million people and Jesus swaps gears. And Jesus says, come on guys, let it be known. And if you don't do it, I'm going to let the rocks praise me. He set it up. He set it up. And he signed his own death sentence. You see, if Jesus had come in inconspicuously and calmly and no one had known, this would have never unfolded. But Jesus knew what had to happen. And so Jesus forced a choice. He puts the religious leaders in a corner. They've been jealous all along, but now the people are wanting to coordinate him as king, and they cannot let it happen. And so he's like the kamikaze pilot from World War II, the Japanese pilot who gets in his jet to go on a death mission. And just like when a kamikaze pilot got in his jet... They would weld the doors shut so there was no way he would ever escape, even if he decided to come back. Jesus got in the jet, and he welded the door shut. He forced it. And then number five, the cheering stopped because the people chose the wrong king History tells us something really fascinating about this day. That yes, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, but there was a second procession that day into Jerusalem. Jesus comes through the Mount of Olives, the east side of Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, enters Jerusalem that day from the west side. Jesus is secure. Pilate, we know, was terribly insecure. Jesus comes in on a lowly donkey. Pilate comes in with a horse surrounded by military might, with helmets shining and swords out and spears ready. Absolute power. And there's the lowly Jesus. There were two processions on that day. There was Jesus, the true lowly king. There was Pilate, the imposter. And this is what's so crazy about this story. The crowds that originally wanted to coronate Jesus as king and who wanted to praise him in just four or five days are convinced to call for Jesus' crucifixion. And in the most ironic twist of all, They proclaim, we have no king but Caesar. 
can you believe that? Can you believe that people could be that fickle? So Palm Sunday, it was planned by Jesus, but it was put here for us because it forces us to make a choice. Which king will you choose this Palm Sunday? Who will you follow? The proud or the humble? The flashy or the faithful? The temporal or the eternal? And what in the world will you do when God disappoints you? Will you be as fickle as the people here, or will you embrace the true king? What are you going to do? What are you doing right now when what you signed up for as a Christian has turned out to be a little different than what you first expected? I think it has been for all of us. What do we do when what we expected to happen doesn't happen and in its place has become a trial, a temptation, a difficulty? Will we embrace him or will we be just as fickle as they are? Because we have so many gods and so many kings out there that are tempting us. There's so many things, whether it's materialism or power or prestige or you name it, that call out to us and say, let me be your king. And yet are we so crazy distracted that we don't see the most amazing scene. It's God in the flesh parading through town on a donkey. Humble and lowly parading before you and me wondering Who will we choose? You see, the first Palm Sunday, it's a difficult passage. I mean, the Christian world says this is is the great day of praise, but that doesn't fit the text. Because the first Palm Sunday led the true king to tears. I wonder if this Palm Sunday we could submit to him and put a smile on his face. So today, on this day, the king is paraded before you. You've opened your mouth and you praised him. But will it show up Monday morning where you work? Will it show up with your family tonight when things get tense? Will it show up the same praise when something falls apart in your life and you're disappointed with God? Or will you be so blown away by a humble God who entered on a donkey, who stooped, and washed feet, and who died a humiliating death on a cross, that you can't help but praise him 
for all of eternity. If you need to come to him today, if you need to pray for you, today's the day for you to become a follower of this king. If you follow the kings of the world, if you've been so enamored by power and prestige and money and all the things the world offers that you've missed the lowly king and you've really missed life and you've really missed love, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?